Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tungata Whenua of Te Whanganuetara where I'm recording today. Woo! Birthday weekend! How do you feel? Birthday week! Yeah, no, good. Do you feel um, older, wiser? None of those things. No, it never <laughs> works out like that, does it? No, it really doesn't. But it's always lovely. Like, I really like my birthday, so, you know, Aww. I like to make a big deal about it. <laughs> it should be a big deal. Birthdays are a big deal. And especially because Christmas is for mm. kids. So our birthday is kind of like the last day that we get to just be like, yes, it is the festival of me. And I think we should all lean into that. Oh, absolutely. And I'm like, I'm always like birthday week and birthday month is an excuse for everything and anything mm-hmm. I want to do. So yeah, no, it's been yes. good. Well, what is your moment of wonder this week? So this morning I finally got to see my sister-in-law. It's been like six months because we were in lockdown and she's working. Oh, yeah. So it's just been ages. And I've really missed her, and we're not good at texting each other, even though we like each other. So sort of like catching up in person is the best way to connect. So I got to see her, and I got to give her a hug, and I got to give her a birthday present. And yeah, she's just in a really good space, and my heart feels really happy. So that was good. That's amazing. Love that. It's really nice. But yeah, what about you? What was your moment of wonder this week? Well, I guess it's just birthday related, because lots of gifts have been turning up at my house over the last week, and it's just genuinely surprised me, firstly, and it's also just delighted me. So I've got this like big pile of presents on my dining room table that I'm going to unwrap tomorrow morning. And I'm just like, this is amazing. I can't believe I have so many presents. It's Yay. genuine delight. So yeah, I'm very that. excited. Leaning in, enjoying the presents. Five of them are from you. So, <laughs> Well, to be fair, I did wrap everything. I thought it would be more fun I know. to have lots of little things to wrap. And that is exactly it. I don't really care what's in them. I'm more excited just about the act of opening things. It's fun, though. I'm getting all of this stuff in the post because Christmas is coming. So it's like mm. I'm hiding things away. And I just like I love opening up stuff that I'm going to give the kids and just being excited in advance of what they see. It's one of my favorite cute. parts of Christmas. So I'm already like, yes, that is super cute. It's the best. I love giving gifts. Well, this week, big week, we're reading chapters 40 to 44 through this theme of sanctuary, which is fun. So do you have a a story about sanctuary for us? I do. Um, And I'm keeping it pretty light because it's been that kind of week. Mm -hmm. It's part of why I'm so distracted right now is actually this exact issue. Um, So in terms of sanctuary, I want to talk about my favorite room in my house, which is my bedroom. At the start of 2020, when working from home became like the norm for everybody, I lost my sewing room, which was our big like dining room in the back of the house because my husband needed to be on phone calls and Zoom calls all the time. And my sewing room was also like the kids' playroom. So they just felt free to walk in and start chatting or playing or being noisy. Mm. And like that just was not conducive to him working from home. Um, So I bounced around the house. I sewed in a couple different places, but nowhere really worked out. Eventually I just gave in and I made my sewing room my bedroom. So everything I do now, all of my work, all of my sleeping, all of my editing and recording, it all happens here. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I love my bedroom. It's my favorite room in the house, even though it's the only one that's beige. I'm sorry, warm neutral. (laughs) I have art that I love on the walls. I have some of my favorite vintage furniture in here. My bed is in here. I love my bed so much. Mm. I could spend an hour just talking about how great my bed is. (laughs) It's got secret cabinets in it. It's got a bookshelf. It's amazing. It's an amazing bed. But I, you know, even though I wish I had a room that was big enough to hold all of my hobbies, I'm really happy that my bedroom is like big enough for all of the things I need to do and that I have the space and that I I have this one sanctuary. Hmm. But the other day, something happened that threatened the sanctuary. That is my bedroom. There was a beeping noise. Beep, 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 beep. Just like that. Four little beeps. Beep, 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 beep. 
every half hour or so. All night long. All day long. Beep, 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 beep. So by about the third day, I was going out of my mind. I could not decide what to do about the beeping noise other than, like, find it and kill it with fire. <laughs> so we had no idea what it was. Like, was it coming from the wardrobe? Was it coming from the bed? Was it coming from the desk? Was it coming from the ceiling? Did, like, a tradesman drop something in there and the battery was dying and oh. it was now, like, we could not figure it out. So I ended up pulling everything off of my desk, out of my shelves, unplugging everything that could be plugged in to try and find this. And like I cleaned it all while I was waiting to hear if I could still hear this beeping noise. And eventually I figured it out by just reasoning through it, which is like it had to be something battery powered that was nearing the end of its life. So that wasn't anything that plugged in. I have a filing cabinet with an electronic locking drawer. This is where I had the Nintendo and it's run by a battery. So when I unlocked it, it beeped five times, beep, 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 just like the four beeps. And then I locked it again and it beeped. And then I ran into my husband's study and I like tried his identical locking cabinet and it didn't beep. So I'm like, we found it. This is the beeping thing. I had found the beep. Mm. So once we found it, we were able to fix it. Um, and I can't even tell you how relieved I was because it had been driving me up the wall. <laughs> it had been yeah, making me so crazy. But I spent the day pulling my room apart and then putting it back together just to find it. And I didn't even care because I had solved it. Like, it, it didn't even matter. That's how much my bedroom as a sanctuary means to me. Like, I'm willing to just pull everything off my shelves and find the solution because I needed this room to be where I can still work and sleep and relax. Mm. It has to be that for me. So um, the beep has been solved for the minute. Thank goodness. <laughs> Excellent detective work there from you. Good work. <laughs> Thanks. I am very tired. I have not slept well since the beeping started, even though the beeping is now over. The mysterious ticking noise. <laughs> yes, the telltale beep. Well, I'm glad you found it, and I hope <laughs> that your sleep returns to you and that your sanctuary is sanctuary once more. Thanks. I am hoping so too. I'm very... I'm all over the shop today. Apologies for any rambliness. I love your ramblings. They're the best. <laughs> Thanks. It's often very interesting when I like go back and edit and I'm like, oh, I didn't get enough sleep that night. I make no sense. No, don't believe it at all. I'm a good editor, Jen. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, would you like to read chapter summaries? Sure. Thank so you. in this section, Neve has kidnapped Welk, but not well enough. Adam mm -hmm. seeks out Blue for comfort, but decides to make a third path, as Persephone suggested. Adam disappears, and while Mora is telling Blue about her father, the Raven Boys turn up to spirit her away to help find Adam. Everyone converges at Cape's Water. Oh my gosh. So this is very much the building up of the storm, right? We're going to have mm. the storm in the next section. It's also a really hard chapter because it's when Adam decides to leave the group to do something himself. And it's a real hard one for me. Because mm. I feel like I understand Adam so perfectly in this moment, but I feel it the way Gansey feels it happening. How about you? Yeah, I definitely, I find Adam very interesting in this section because he talks about, you know, he doesn't know what he's going to sacrifice. He doesn't know what he needs to sacrifice when he's packing to go to Capes Water. Mm. But as we know, he's not going to hesitate when it comes to it. Yeah. You know, and he's going to know immediately what he needs to do. So I don't know. He's kind of lying to himself. That's what I feel like a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's... He is not honest with himself ever. No. Too muddled up by the facts and too muddled up by the logic of it to really feel his way through it. I thought there was an interesting juxtaposition with him lying there going, objectively, I know I'm abused. Objectively, I know that this is a terrible situation I'm in. Blah, blah, blah. And all I could think of was, but you love your family and you love your parents. And like, home for Adam isn't a sanctuary. He's, he's called it a place for leaving. But I think maybe it's somewhere he feels like he belongs. Yeah, I definitely saw connection in that bit, right? When he talks about his mother never talking to him again. He's really mourning that loss of connection because he does love his family. Mm. And that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to lose. 
I think we often think of people who've been abused as like, oh, they hate their family and they want to leave, but it's actually a lot more nuanced than that. And there are a lot of people who love their abusers and shouldn't feel ashamed of that. Why do we treat loving people, even people who are bad for us, why do we treat that as a society? Why is that a bad thing? Why is it something we feel like we have to be ashamed of? Yeah, it's not a personal failing. No, I think it's very generous to still care for the people who hurt you. It doesn't mean that you have to offer a relationship or um, reconcile but you can still love mm. them. It's how, you know, forgiveness does not equal condoning behavior, right? You yeah. can forgive someone without condoning. You can love someone without condoning yeah, or exactly. necessarily forgiving even, which is what makes loving so difficult and so complicated. Yeah, forgiveness isn't equal to reconciliation. No, and there's nothing I think more difficult than loving someone who maybe you can't be in a relationship with, you know, a family member maybe that is very difficult that you love, mm. but you can't actually see for your own reasons or, you know, your own welfare, but that, you know, that love is still there. Oh, absolutely. It doesn't just disappear. And I mean, also there are good memories that you have from that time, or maybe you learned something or had moments of genuine shared connection. I don't know. I really feel for Adam in this because I see that he is trying so hard to logic his way out of what he needs to really feel his way through. Yeah. And it just breaks my heart. Mm. And it's sad that Monmouth is such a sanctuary for Gansey. It's this place he can really rest and sleep and discover who he is and be who he feels like on the inside. Yeah. But for Adam, it just feels like another cage. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting as well, because for Ronan, Ronan literally goes to the church when mm. he needs sanctuary. Like he is a very literal human being. <laughs> yeah. Can I talk about the word? I went and looked it up because I'm a nerd. Please do. Um, so it basically means a holy place or consecrated ground or a place that offers refuge. Like when I was thinking sanctuary, I was thinking of the Disney Hunchback of Notre Dame movie mm. where, you know, like the, the woman was saying, you know, sanctuary, sanctuary, like trying to get into the church to be safe or whatever from the marauding. I don't know. It's been like a couple of decades since I've seen that movie. The mob. The mob. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whoever was after her, you know, she was trying to get in and claim sanctuary. And um, it's also a word for a vessel containing holy relics. Like, I guess oh. like a sacred tomb would be a sanctuary, which I didn't realize. Yeah. And the root is shared with sacred. So it doesn't like infer divinity, holiness or consecration. And I also thought it was really interesting because it shares that word with sacrifice, which mm. is like to offer something, usually a life to a deity as an act of homage. So we're talking about sacred spaces, like specifically we're talking about caves water and we're looking at what the the gangsy is willing to do in order to keep it a holy place yeah and adam is going to claim it because he doesn't want it claimed by someone else which is very strange to think about how can you claim something that's a sanctuary that's a holy place because that's his whole motivating thing is like that's why he acts as an individual because he can't bear the thought of wealth getting this thing mm. that he feels belongs to them and he's not even claiming it for himself he's claiming it for all of them yeah but he also kind of wants the future that he sees you know if he gets the power of, like the, the favor from glendower yeah he needs that favor um, whenever I hear Sanctuary, I think of a particular scene from The Simpsons where Homer is like being pursued by a mob and he runs into the church and he yells, Sanctuary, Sanctuary, and Reverend Lovejoy's like, why did I teach him that word? And it cracks <laughs> me up every time. I find the concept of Sanctuary fascinating because I think in 2016, there was all this talk about asylum seekers in Australia taking Sanctuary in churches. Yeah. And it also happened in America where a lot of people being, you know, hunted by ICE basically took yeah. Sanctuary in churches. But there is no legal, actual legal basis for that. Like there is no reason why law enforcement can't go into a church and just forcibly remove people. They just choose not to. Yeah, it's 
because the church still has a big pull. Like the state is an entity. The church is also like an organization. It's a political and it's a very powerful one. Like there's no getting around it. Fascinating though. If it wasn't, the priests that have done all of the horribly abusive things would have been held to account long before this, right? Yeah, that is, that is very true. That is very true. I also always think of like hiding in churches from vampires. I'm like sanctuary. <laughs> anyway, sidetrack. I mean, we're always talking about vampires. If it's not Twilight. Vampire chat. We haven't mentioned Twilight in so long. I'm glad we're bringing it back. Um, I was wondering if sanctuary can be a person. Mm-hmm. I think because I feel like Blue is a sanctuary for the boys. Absolutely, and certainly for Adam and for Noah, because like no- Adam seeks her out here because he wants that comfort, and Noah kind of needs Blue to exist. And I also think that maybe for Blue, Mora is a bit of sanctuary, yeah. right? Like she doesn't like it when they're arguing. She doesn't like it when she's let her mom down. Like they mm-hmm. have this really close, familiar relationship. Like it's not codependent in a weird way, but like there's that bit about how you know. The silence wasn't unfamiliar. You know, her mother, as long as she could remember, had walked in, started reading a book and sat on the other end of the bed with her. That just reminds me of life with my own kids, where if I'm working in here at any given point, one or both of my kids will come and lay on the bed behind me while I'm sitting at my desk and play on their iPads or read a book or just talk at me. Mm. Like there's something about the intimacy of a family in close quarters that creates a sense of sanctuary with them. Like, you know that you're safe with that person. Yeah. And also a very obvious connection point, right? Like that ritual of reading together that the ritual of familiarity yeah absolutely which actually speaking of ritual i was wondering like about ritual as a means of connection you know it brings things together it makes things happen so you've got neve setting up to do this ritual and isn't that just a big connection a connection with the world a connection with the ley line I think so, yeah. I also, I kind of put it down as a sanctuary as well because she really loves like what she does within it. So Mm. she creates the space that she could work from. And what is a space where you can create from but also a sanctuary? She feels protected in it. Like the pentagram is her shape for spells. I mean, she's talking all of this through with Welk and it's really long so I won't read it but I really like how she explains every step of it. Like this is what the candle's doing. This is what the scrying bowl's doing. You know, here are the bones of the ravens I killed to show the ley line what I mean to do. Like she's got it down and she's really interested in it as a process and I think that there's something in both the connection and the the sanctuary of it. Mm. She's making it into a sanctuary through the ritual. I thought of Welk's car as a bit of a sanctuary for him as well because he's so annoyed at Neve like not respecting his car and also like (laughs) tying him up in the back of his own car and he like he was hiding in it before right he had fled from the repercussions of his actions and so the car was very much a sanctuary for him. Yeah I caught that as well and I love that because he was so mad that there would be crumbs and it was like one of the more troubling thoughts in a week full of extremely troubling thoughts and I'm like you shouldn't be worried about crumbs in your car. Like you're on the lamb. You tried to kill a bajillionaire's child. Mm. You like crumbs are the like should be like down here on the list of worries. And then he's like really relieved that Neve doesn't try and take his car off road. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Do you just not care at this point? Like what? What's happening? It was so funny. I, I think you're right that his car is a bit of a sanctuary. It's also interesting how Neve gets a bit upset when she when he says, you know, you're gonna murder me, and she's like, I wouldn't call it that. There's honor yeah. in being a sacrifice. Like. <laughs> That's in my tangential marginalia. Like, the way she says it, she's like, it's a lovely thing. It's quite a fine thing to be a sacrifice. And I'm like, you're not really selling it, Neve. <laughs> it reminds me of when she was talking about Noah being dead and how being a ghost is better than being dead. And Blue was like, mm, I don't know if that was, like, necessarily better. And she was, I think it reveals a lot about Neve, like, about what yeah. she wants and what she values. And she's like, oh, I'd rather be a ghost than be dead. I'd rather be a sacrifice than be nobody. You know, that sort of thing. The priorities are just a bit skewed. Um, yeah. 
I kind of thought maybe the sisterhood of like psych the psychic sisterhood functioned as a bit of a sanctuary like more in Blue's conversation like Blue asks her mother do you even really know her and her mom's going well look I mean not really but we've met up a couple times over the years and like a day here a day there but I didn't grow up with her she's not even a real sister which I thought was an interesting thing like I love the ambiguity of the women of 300 Fox Way and their extended family but I thought that it was interesting that you could just co- sort of turn up and be like I'm a psychic too can I stay and they're like yeah all right yeah I love this yeah I definitely thought 300 Fox Way is a sanctuary for like wayward psychics right yeah and how the tree in the backyard is a sanctuary for Blue. Yeah. But also how she's brought the trees into her bedroom, like into her internal sanctuary. She's yeah. like made that really special for her too. It's like all trees and flowers. And it's her, like she's the only one who lives in that room. That is her room. Mm. So she's lived there her whole life and it's always been just hers. Like everyone else has to share and the house seems really small and crowded and 8,000 people live there or whatever. But Blue has her own room and she's able to decorate it the way she likes. So I love that Blue is able to just decorate it as her own and really make it her own. And it's nice that her mom asks to go in. Like, her mom knocks on the door and says, are you awake? They really respect boundaries, hey? Like, Mm. even though they're all in each other's pockets and they're all very close and every... Like, they all basically read each other's minds. Like, the way that Maura and Kala and Persephone speak to each other, often they don't even use complete sentences. It's all implied conversation, you know? When Maura's like, tell me I'm wrong. And Persephone's like, you know, I can't do that. They don't specify what. They just know what they're talking about. And yet, Blue is very respected in her boundaries and her autonomy and all these things which is really great i think having good boundaries is like key to a good relationship no matter what that relationship is Mm. you gotta know where the line is it's sometimes even just so you don't cross it by accident or so that you know if you need to cross it you can say look i really need this from you like you're able to communicate better which we could argue the gangs they lack which is why they're always stepping on each other's toes and feelings they just don't know how to talk about things and i i honestly feel like Gansey and Adam love each other so much and just not in the right way yet. Like they're not at the right point where they can actually love each other properly yet. We'll get there, I think, but it's so fraught right now. Yeah. And I just really saw how desperate Adam is for connection. Like he goes Mm. to seek it from Blue. He mourns that loss with the connection with his family. And then you just see how hard Gansey takes that frayed connection with Adam as well. Like he feels so betrayed. And you see that parallel between the hurt he feels and Adam's from the previous section where, you know, there's that fracturing inside both of them. Like there's something fundamentally broken it's a lot it is just and they just misunderstand each other it's like you know adam even says i don't think he's ever gonna fully understand me i love that moment where he goes to find blue and he he asks for a kiss and blue knows that that's not really what it's about and she says it i think it's on page 367 she says blue didn't think this was really about kissing her and that made her cheeks burn it wasn't supposed to be a kiss at all but if it had it definitely shouldn't be like this she Mm. said there's still worse than what you've got because she said i don't want to hurt you more and he looks so upset and he's so bleak but it really wasn't about the kiss it was about Adam wanting something but he couldn't quite name it and I think that she was right to kind of knock him back there I think she was right to say I mean even if she hadn't got this death curse or whatever you know when people are making choices that aren't necessarily the right ones and involving yourself in that can be really hard Mm. so I think she was right to step back from that and say actually what is this about very mature I love Blue um speaking of Adam there's this line when he is sneaking out of Monmouth and he sees Noah standing in the doorway right Mm. there's this description on page 371 where it says without Blue there to make him stronger without Gansey there to make him human without Ronan there to make him belong Noah was a frightening thing I feel like he's talking about himself that's a really good observation I say that's supported in the text yeah because I feel like those are all things that also apply to him although I also love that Ronan is the one making people belong because that should not be the case and yet he is the one who is always 
He's so obnoxious that everyone has to gang up against him. That's his special power. He's so rabbity that every time something happens, they're like giving each other the look like, can you believe Ronan just did that? I know. Like he unifies people (laughs) with his outrageousness. And sometimes I think that's very useful, but you have to be very self-confident in your place with the people that you're doing that to. Otherwise, it could just make you feel really terrible. I think Ronan knows he's loved, at least by Gansey. I don't think he has that same certainty from Adam, but Adam plays his cards so close to the chest. And then Ronan writes remembered on the Mustang's windshield, which I also thought was an immense act of kindness from him. He just does what needs doing. How does Blue, like, you know, Blue has that memory of what Kala said to Ronan about, you know, a secret killed your father and you know what it is. Mm. Why does it come up for her in that moment when Ronan is doing that? Why do you think that is? I feel like it's because Ronan is showing his depth there, maybe. Mm. He does have that look of being poisonous. This species will bite you. But when you actually start to observe him, like with Chainsaw or with Noah or even in tender moments just unexpectedly he becomes something more something softer something much deeper and Mm. I think she's seeing that now and she's wondering what that secret is because she has more evidence of it right like yeah if he was just this poisonous horrible person she wouldn't have she wouldn't still be invested but she's kind of invested yeah he's growing on her like mold (laughs) he is the best I thought he was really good here. It was all action. He gets up when Gansey says, gets up. He goes to the crazy psychic's house to get blue. You know, he's, mm. he's, he's just doing what needs to be done. Um, I also love that Adam has that observation about caves water, you know, when he thinks, oh, I mustn't think about it disappearing or existing because it's as literal as Ronan is. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought that was really great. There was a really wonderful moment. Adam's thinking he has to guard his thoughts. And I'm like, oh, like Gansey's always worried about guarding his words. Mm. And I love that there's finally like, oh, now you see. You see, you can't just think whatever you want to think. Like there are consequences for these stray thoughts mm. you have, yeah. which I really love. And I mean, Cape's Water is obviously a sanctuary, even though they're yeah. all kind of scared of it in this moment. Like Adam talks about the, how the trees are really frightening in the dark and Blue yeah. is like, she feels dangerous to be in Cape's Water. Because she made things louder and she wants everybody to stick together because it feels like a place that they could get lost. And I just think it is a holy place. Like it was even yeah, said in the absolutely. last chapter, it was a holy place. I mean, it's it's more than a place, you know, it's something. It's a place plus. But that doesn't mean that it's a sanctuary for everybody and it doesn't mean that it's friendly either like there are definitely sanctuaries in the world that I probably wouldn't be welcome in I'm thinking of my friend who went to you know there are a lot of temples and I think my friend Amy went I want to say somewhere in Thailand and like she was wearing a tank top and had to wear like a tunic and like you know she wasn't welcome until she was her shoulders were covered I think yeah you have to wear a sarong if you go to like Bali and if you go to the Vatican you have to have your shoulders covered and you can't wear a short skirt and all these things yeah so like there are places there are sanctuaries that you're not allowed unless you're a certain way or you're you present a certain way which I thought was really interesting I didn't really get into that in the reading but it's kind of worth noting that sanctuaries aren't universal and Caveswater is not a universal sanctuary either No, and sanctuaries can turn against you, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. don't obey the rules or you do something that is incorrect, then you're not guaranteed sanctuary forever. Yeah, it sometimes can turn against you. Or what you thought was sanctuary can actually be really not. Mm, Hostile even. I wondered if that was like part of why Gansey was so upset about the thought of a gun being in Monmouth. Yeah, I would think so, right? Like it's a threat to his peace. I think he would have been upset even before he was threatened with a gun. I don't oh, think that's absolutely. necessarily... Because Adam's like, oh, it must be just because... Oh, he was robbed at gunpoint. <laughs> yeah. But then I also think the fact that Adam took it to protect his mum. Like he was trying to yeah. create a sanctuary for her. 
Absolutely. That's love. Like taking on something like that. And I love how he was like, I already tried to, I already thought about selling it, but I can't because it's legally in my dad's name. Yeah. And I can't bury it because what if some kid finds it? I'm like, oh. Just go downstairs to whatever huge machinery is in Monmouth and like drill press a hole through it. It'll be fine. You can destroy it. Can't you surrender it somewhere? Can't you take it to the cops and be like, here, have this gun. Good day, sir. Well, they're legal to own. So wouldn't they just give it back to his dad? (laughs) America. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I have the same thought. I'm like, why does he even, how, how did he even, and then I'm like, oh, right. It's like Virginia. And look, like Virginia is also a huge military. Like it's got bases all over it too. So you've got a lot of ex-military people living there and it's, it's not abnormal to carry a gun. Should be though. It does freak me out. It's the one thing about traveling back to the US that I'm always like, but what if somebody I love got shot while we were there? Like, is it worth it? Ugh. Baffling to me. I do not get it at all, but sure. Yeah, guns are not for me. I don't like them. Um, Do you think that Welk is holding to this idea of his old life as a sort of sanctuary? That's interesting, definitely. I thought there was definitely something in that, like the fact that he holds onto a language because it can't change on him, a dead language. Yeah. You know, we've spoken before about why doesn't he just move on? But it's like he takes comfort in this existence where he's just bitter about what he's lost and he can like really marinate in all the things that he's lost. So maybe that is a sanctuary. Yeah, he doesn't want to actually try. It's like he's so determined to live in the past or he's let himself be stuck in what happened seven years ago. But this created narrative about it, not the actuality of it. Because only in this section does he actually remember Journey, Noah, as a friend. Mm. Like Only here does he say, like, he was actually the person that I cared about the most. And, like, it was a ritual that was meant to do something, but all it did was cost him something. Yeah, because arguably he didn't do a ritual. Like, he didn't. It needs to be intention, right? Yeah. And just killing someone and being like, oh, I wanted to mean this is not not necessarily enough like look at the way that neve is being very methodical about what yeah. she's doing and he didn't have that but also maybe he thought if he just like kept his head in and stayed where he was then he'd be safe from discovery right like so yeah. that's sanctuary in a way if you were trying to avoid danger and maybe the last place he was truly happy or truly carefree anyway was Agnaby, so he's chasing that i do think it's this whole problem though where he's like on page 365 he goes into this big spiel and he's like he cared for his lost car has lost respect and that is absolutely everything that's wrong with him it's like this fixation on his lost respect you can still have respect without having money dude like chill out and also like why are you not moving super far away to find something else to do that you're passionate about move to a different country (laughs) it's a huge world out there nobody would be nobody would even bat an eye if you moved somewhere and said look my dad was a complete deadbeat and we lost everything and i'm starting from from scratch people would even like probably support him because everybody loves an underdog right Hmm. and he's presumably a straight white guy so like he's got lots of benefits and privilege just built right in but no he would rather just wallow in his perceived loss like Honestly, me too. He's just like such a dislikable person. And his motivations are just, they're so small. Like everything he does is for such stupid reasons that you can't even be like, yeah, I'm on board because of the whatever grand scheme you have. No, it's just dumb, dumb, small, petty thing. I think you're right about that. And that's why it it feels cheap, right? Because he just wants like material comfort, which he could get if he put any sort of effort into like doing anything. So it makes me really frustrated that he has chosen to wallow. Like he would rather be miserable and point that anger outward than like do anything about it infuriating pity little problems for his pity little life so frustrating i thought this was an interesting lens to look through because we're at this point where cave's water is starting to change and we don't really know what's going to happen well unless you've read the book a billion times like us 
I thought there was a lot of missed connection or a lot of connection that wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that when Gansey is awoken by what he thinks is a light but isn't actually a light, and it's probably Noah, and mm. Noah's kind of waking him up enough, find Adam, Adam is leaving, Adam is gone. Like he's he's missing that connection. Like Noah can't stop him in time. Noah can't be there in time. Like he's trying, but he can't connect, which is so hard to see. And even Noah's connection to the line is growing fainter. Like, he's not able to be an embodied person writing murdered Mm. on the car. It's just the words. And Blue is so cold because Noah is drawing all this energy from her while he's writing these words, but he's still not embodied. And it's just so sad. It is sad. Poor Noah. He needs to come back. We love you, Noah. I thought about how the connection between Adam and Blue is changing, right? Like, she talks about how she feels like she's been approached by a wild animal Mm, because mm -hmm. he is so vulnerable with her and it's so unusual. And then she, like, runs a finger along his ear, which really stood out to me because she's touching all his broken pieces. Like, he's showing her vulnerability. His ear is obviously fundamentally broken. And then she talks about, on page 368, her fingers and skin longed for the boy she'd held hands with days before, but he didn't seem to be the boy standing before her then it's so hard you know that adam is gone basically the adam from before and i think about how gansey tries to remember the ronin from before right and how you can't get that back and how you just change when something deeply traumatic happens to you because i often talk about like my own trauma and how i feel like i'm a completely different person from the person that i was before yeah it's just interesting to see that from the other side as well like you know when you're longing from that person that person just no longer exists yeah i think it's really hard when you know that you're gonna be in that person's life for a while like I know that Blue and Adam will be close right they're going to have a bond that like time will not be able to really affect but it's not going to be romantic and I think that that's the hope that she loses here is that she kind of knows it's not going to develop into that even though she's thrilled by him I actually put that as one of my tangential marginalia the way that she feels when she's touching his ear and he's got his head in her lap you know like it's such a a child seeking a mother kind of action where he just lays down and and puts his head in her arms for her to hold him yeah and it says on 366 it says it made her chest hum to touch him and smell the dust and oil scent of him and I just think boys are so magical sometimes like the way that what's that is that Ada Moan poem about I, I can't help it I love the way men love oh yeah yeah like I, that really came to me at that when I was thinking of that like she was so affected by the wondrousness of it but it doesn't mean that it's going to turn into something romantic sometimes we can be really taken with a moment or have that connection yeah it just really hurt me because Adam I feel like he does he's never had that like he doesn't have anyone who looks out for him he doesn't have anyone who like prioritizes him and he's been through so much and he's had this fight with Gansey and he just has nowhere to turn and then Blue is there for him and he can rest for a moment and she can be his sanctuary and he can put his head in her lap and it occurs to me though like is that like sort of like low-key toxic masculinity yeah like he's willing to be vulnerable with blue but like Gansey's offering all of this actual yep. concrete support and he like knocks it back every time it's the patriarchy in action right it tells men you cannot yeah. be weak in front of other men like why can why don't they have a relationship where they can like have a little cuddle and feel better about it it will do all of them a world of good seriously where is the Gansey puppy pile they need this contact yeah I bet Ronan gives the best cuddles. Oh, he totally does because he's so big and strong. He'd just be the best. Like, you could just imagine, like, having a little lie down on his chest and he would just, like, envelop you. It'd be great. I just, yeah. Adam is really touch starved and I think Blue is kind of cluing into that. Yeah. I've just remembered something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Keep going. Keep telling, telling your story. Oh, no worries. Oh, no, I was thinking about how, you know, he's 
getting this physical comfort from Blue. And then he says, I, I want to kiss you now, young or not. And she immediately is like, this isn't about a kiss. This is not what this is meant to be like. Mm. Like, this mm -hmm. is not a romantic moment. And he's misread it or maybe a he's asking for something because he feels like maybe that's the natural progression. Yeah, it's the next step, right? Yeah, for him, it's like, I have to tick this, tick this box. There's a great line that I didn't write down. But yeah, on page 367, she says she wondered what it would, would have been like to kiss this hungry, desolate boy. Mm. And that really stood out to me because later in the last book, when Adam kisses Ronan, Ronan talks about how they were both starving, but Adam had been starving for longer. And that, yeah. that desperation comes through again. I just think of Ronan and the lit match and oil spill and I die all oh, over again. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just minding my own business and I think about Ronan like tipping his bed head back in the car and just being like, please, praying to God, just please, when he sees Adam and it like breaks me and I have to sit in silence for five minutes. It's okay. You can have that. That's how I feel a lot of the time too. Yeah. I just need this series to be finished so I can move on with my life. This is true. I understand. But also we don't want it to be done because the anticipation is good also, right? Mm, or am I, am I bright siding again? I might be bright siding. No, that's great. That's way better than me. I think it's good. we got to have a pessimist and an optimist. Captain Doom and Gloom over here. One of my... Well, not my direct colleague, but he works on the floor. When he sees me, he's like, you've got any nihilistic thoughts for me today? Any pessimism? Any doom and gloom articles you want to tell me? And I'm like, well, I just read something about, you know, the earth is dying at this rate. And he's like, great. Like, my job is done. Don't ask if you don't want to know. Meanwhile, I miss Shieldy, right? Yeah, like I read this article about they're sending a rocket into space to see if they could hypothetically shoot an asteroid out of the way if, in case oh, yeah. an asteroid ever comes to Earth. We're going to Armageddon the the asteroid yeah. right? and like this asteroid is currently not on a trajectory to earth but they're like you know we have to be very careful it's a very delicate procedure you have to hit it at the right point to like alter the trajectory of it blah 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 and i'm like okay so what i'm reading here is you're gonna mess this up you're gonna alter the trajectory and it's actually gonna come towards earth 10 out of 10 good job everyone <laughs> That is a pretty dark reading. I was just like, yay, Armageddon's real. Is Bruce Willis up there? Don't let him leave the rocket. Keep him on the rocket. We need Bruce Willis, okay? This is classic. This is like Greek mythology type stuff. You're going to try and stop the thing from <laughs> happening. And by doing so, you're going to cause it to happen. I spent so much time last, last week or the week before researching Greek mythology because I was like, okay, let's do, let's get to the bottom of Persephone. And I could not make heads or tails of it a mystery it is what is she who is she i love that mora admitted to blue that you know actually they're very good with specifics yeah i like that too and i thought there was something in that when persephone says you know more and more recently right so that is like yeah. the, the more awake the ley line gets the more specific they get right so there's that yeah. definite power that relates i love the idea that these women have just been drawn to this particular place more is not from henrietta she moved to henrietta we know she's from west virginia i think we find that out later in the books Blue's family is from further away, but her mom moved there because that's where the energy is. That's where mm. it's more powerful to be. And I just, I love that. I think that's cool. That makes sense though. Like Noah, right? He feels more human if he's with Blue. So if you go yeah. there and that makes you feel more like yourself, then obviously. Isn't that kind of why we end up living where we live? Because we feel most of ourselves at those places. Mm. Or you're with the people who live there who feel make you feel most like yourself. That's why yeah. I'm here. I don't know that I would have picked Sydney. I like it, but I've lived here for 15 years. It's hard not to like somewhere you've lived for a decade and a half. Yeah. Can't believe it's only 15. Oh, it might be longer now. It was tw no, no. Yeah, this Christmas is this Christmas is 16 years. So yeah. Oh, what else did I have? What else did you have for for connection? Did you have anything else? No, that's basically it. I think. 
I had a little bit about Blue being worried about Gansey. She's so connected to him through his fate. Mm. Yeah, she, when she sees him with the the rain, right? And she's like, "It's not today, right? Like, I don't, I don't kill him right now, right? That's not gonna happen." And then she worries that maybe she changed his fate. How much she changed her fate? And she's like, Persephone wouldn't have let us leave. I'm like, wouldn't she though? If that's what she saw, like, I don't know if they are in the business of changing fates. Can you? I don't know if it's possible. No. I mean, it is a cycle, but we don't really know that because it's only a cycle for people who are outside of the, I guess, what, timeline? And isn't it interesting how Welk says he's not interested in cyclical things? I'm like, well. Well, his, you know, the buck stops here for him. Yeah. Um, did you have any more or any tangential marginalia? No, the only thing I had was that on Animal Watch, we had Adam again because, you know, Blue makes that observation about him being like a wild mm. animal. The others I've already mentioned. How about you? Um, I had the one about Noah, a little one about Noah saying, don't throw it away to Adam. Is that what he says to all of them as his last words? Like, does he visit don't them? Don't throw it away. Yeah, because he said that to Gansey and now he said it to Adam. And he isn't looking like himself. Like, he's looking more ghostly and less person-like. And every yeah. time that we've seen... So I, I'm going to watch out for that in the next few books because I know that he sort of slips out of time at the end of the series. I don't even want to talk about it. But um, I know that he slips out of time at the mm. end of the series. And I'm just wondering if he says that to Blue and if he says that to, to Ronan as well. Because that, that, to me, feels like something to look out for. Yeah. If he's at the end and he knows he's about to slip out of time, does he then visit each of them and say, don't throw it away? That's a good thing to watch. It makes me feel like crying to think about it. Okay, so I've already talked about how boys are magic. Um, I, I thought that it was really interesting how time is a privilege. Like, time is something that Adam doesn't have, and so he views it as, like, a commodity. So he actually says, like, Gansey could always afford to wait. Adam couldn't. Mm. And I thought, like, how many people are so time poor because they're working so hard or they're so overstretched yeah. like Adam is? Yeah. I saw this thing the other day that was like, you know, you've got the same amount of time that Beyonce does. And it's like, yeah, but not the resources. So it's yeah. not actually the same thing. That has always made me so angry because, yes, I do have the same amount of time that Beyonce does. But I need to sleep probably more than she does. Also, she's got people who are there to take care of her kids clean her house make her food train her to be this fit and amazing of a dancer like she's a very ambitious and incredible person and i super don't want her life because that sounds exhausting so yeah. i'm happy having naps <laughs> and not being an amazing superstar even if i could be i do not think i would love that so yeah that's how i feel when you see things you're like get this person's amazing celebrity body i'm like no because i don't have seven hours a day to work out that's literally all they do that's I don't want to eat chicken breast and nothing else. Like, thank you. I think about, you know, Beyonce's formation when she talks about, you know, there's that quote where she says, I'm so, and, I, and I'm hungry. I'm like, yeah, you're starving yourself. Yeah, I'm not willing yeah. to do that. I'm sorry. Did like, you I, watch I, Homecoming? Yeah. How hard yeah. she was working. It was incredible. And I just kept thinking like, you're amazing as you are. You don't have to work so hard. But she, she feels like she does. So she's, you know, and she's allowed to work that hard if she wants to. But I was just like, my heart was like, sweetheart, take a break. It's kind of what I love about Serena Williams. Mm. Like, you know, she, I don't know if you've seen her doco, but she's trying to get back. You know, she had, she's had a baby and she's trying to get back into like winning um, grand slams and all these things and she's like returning to the court and I think she's really realized that actually she likes spending time with her family and like she's still playing tennis yeah. she still loves playing tennis but is winning grand slams really the be all and end all of it all 
probably not. She's just the like she's the most talented athlete in the world. It's the same with Simone Biles. Like you know when she pulled out of the Olympics, oh, I'm yeah. like good because she knows she's the greatest. She doesn't need it to prove anything to anyone. They wouldn't let her take her ADHD meds with her. I was like, are you kidding me? Like of course she was getting distracted and confused and stressed out. Like if I miss a tablet, I am incomprehensible. Mm. And I am not even a very important or focused person, like, who has an entire gold medalist Olympic team riding out. Like, no, I'm just bumbling around reading books all the time and talking about them. I can't imagine how, like, she did so well to be able to cope without her meds. I was furious mm. about that. I, that is absolutely ableist of them, but that's neither here nor there. Yes. Um, there was another little thing I caught, which I thought was really lovely, um, when Maura and Blue were talking, where she's described as looking as soft as a poem in the dim light. And then oh, I love that. A couple pages later, she's more tapped a rhythm on her stomach as she stared up. Blue had copied a poem onto the ceiling just above her, and it was possible she was trying to read it. And I'm like, this kid in her weirdo room and her cute soft <laughs> mom. I love it. Yeah, it's a beautiful line, that. I think that was it for my tangential marginalia. It was such a good short section, but so good, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just really getting into the meat of things, right? Like, there's serious consequences now. We're into consequence territory. I know. <sighs> oh, did you have an in-depth marginalia? I do. So mine is on page three. And it's when Blue and Ronan and Gansey are just about to go into Caveswater. At the edge of the woods, the feeling of charge, of possibility, immediately became more pronounced. Shoulder to shoulder, they entered the trees, and between one blink and the next, they found themselves surrounded by a dreamy afternoon light. So Adam has gone to wake up the ley line. Gansey, Ronan, and Blue are on their way to find him, and they've just reached Caveswater. They walk in. It goes from night to day. I thought this was like, they've literally just entered into a magical wood. So it's a kind of sanctuary, right? It's a sacred space. The way that it links to connection is that there's a fracture in their group. Like Noah isn't strong enough to manifest mm. as a corporeal person. And Adam has gone ahead of them. Like he's gone to make his own way. There's this fracture between them, but they're still all trying to get to the same place, which I thought was really interesting. And look, everything about this magical, dreamy caves water, it feels like a Haikala painting to me. I'll link her work in the show notes. She is a Finnish artist and she makes these really beautiful watercolors and they're sort of anime inspired, but they're kind of her own characters and they're usually elves or knights. Um, she's just done a couple that are a girl walking through the woods discovering like a, a UFO with a little alien person inside. And it's just mm. the way that she mixes paints and inks. They're so beautiful. And it just made me think that like that's how Caveswater would look in this moment when they walk in from night on one side and beautiful afternoon autumn sunset on the other so going forward like I know it's silly mm. but it makes me want to get a lot better at art so I can paint that specific scene in a similar style like I want to see mm. them like the four of them walking through a dark night and then taking one step forward and then like it's light on their faces and dark behind them and it's just two different worlds so maybe I'm gonna do more art this year I don't know I really enjoyed doing my October art so maybe I'll try and do some more that's lovely. I love that. That's such a great um, thing to take away as well. I'd love to see it. Yeah, I'll, I will link the artist in the show notes because she is really incredible. And I was just lying in bed last night trying to get the kids to sleep watching her little Instagram videos going like, oh, this is so pretty. <laughs> so good. How about So how about you? Do you have an in-depth marginalia? I do. So mine's quite long. I apologize. Um, oh, that's all right. It's Adam when he's like woken up in the night. And so he's going through this whole thought process, mm. making a decision about what he's going to do because he can't afford to wait like Gansey would. So it's on page 370. And it says, he was full of so many wants, too many to prioritize. And so they all felt desperate to not have to work so many hours, to get into a good college, to look right in a tie, to not still be hungry after eating the thin sandwich he'd brought to work, to drive the shiny Audi that Gansey had stopped to look at with them once after school, to 
go home, to have hit his father himself, to own an apartment with granite countertops and a television bigger than Gansey's desk, to belong somewhere, to go home, to go home, mm. to go home. I think for me the biggest theme in this is just connection. Like he's so desperate for connection. He feels like he's lost connection. He doesn't know how to find connection. He is just lost in everything that he wants. He doesn't know what he wants because there's too much. He doesn't know how to get where he wants to go. And I think like I've definitely felt like this in my life, especially when I was younger, right? Like I feel like Mm. this is a very common thing. Um, especially when I had left home and you do have these moments of homesickness and you know that you've left home because you're trying to achieve something but now you miss home and you miss the comfort of home and that in a way feels like a failure but you also know you can't go home because yeah. it'll never be the same you'll you're not the same the people you left behind's not the same you the can't situation's go back, not the same yeah it's this longing for a place that no longer exists and like yeah it reminds me of Frodo when he's like you know Sam says the Shire's still there and he's we saved the Shire and Frodo says not for me I can't go there I can't have it anymore and just like this whole thing about to go home like I once described homesickness as the way that a note hangs in an empty auditorium when you've played a note on a piano and it just hangs in the air it's just like this memory of something that you can't Mm. grasp and that just really comes through for me in this little section and I think what it calls me to do going forward is just to not try and solve all the problems and just accept that this too will pass as much as I hate that saying in a way sometimes you just have to write it out you just have to feel your feelings and you don't need to solve anything Mm. you just need to do your best just turn up and do your best like Adam doesn't need to solve all these things solving one of them is not going to solve any of the others he just needs to feel what he feels and trust in himself so that's just what I think I want to take forward is just like feel your feelings don't try and logic your way out of it just feel it I love that um my first therapist said that you have to sit in the discomfort or surf the discomfort that you will have these uncomfortable experiences or these uncomfortable impulses and like for me a lot of my early CBT was about dodging the impulse to do the thing that would like self-soothe but in a not great way So it was all about sitting in the Mm. discomfort. And I think Adam does not like sitting in the discomfort. And maybe they could afford to wait, but Adam can't live with that discomfort thinking that that might happen. Is it bad that I sort of hate that the narrative rewards him for taking action like this? Yeah, I know. He's kind of right, isn't he? He's right, but I don't like it. That's my discomfort that I have to sit in. You know what else I thought when I read that bit when he says like to go home, to go home, to go home? Because of course in Call Down the Hawk, he says to Ronan, you smell like home. And then I just like rip my own heart out don't, and flush it don't. down the toilet. Cause kill me, kill you me. You know I'm, I'm gonna finish. Like, anyway, because so. we're taking this break over Christmas, I'm going to read the rest of this series, and then I'm gonna read Call Down the Hawk and Mr. Impossible, and then I'm going to read all of Carry On. I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna be like a mess over Christmas. Okay. Well, oh, I look yeah. forward to the texts. I sometimes think I'm gonna reread Call Down the Hawk, but I don't think I would survive it. I don't think I can read those two and survive. The way that I, I could only read Wayward Son again yeah. when I knew the next one was coming out. Oh. I mean, the only reason I... I didn't even know Wayward Son existed. The only reason I read it was because I saw an ad for Anyway, The Wind Blows. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll read this. That was a fun book. I'll read the second. I'm sure that is equally fun. And then I was like, why am I a mess? I don't understand. I haven't emotionally recovered since. It converts you without you wanting to be converted, I think. Honestly. I've never been Dang so it, Rainbow. wounded by a book getting in there with the feels um do you have a character you want to spotlight this week yes so again rewarding his bad behavior but i'm gonna spotlight adam (laughs) i just yeah 
he really is hurting so much and mm. he's going through so much and it, just the fact that he has no one really to comfort him he doesn't feel like he trusts anyone he just feels very isolated and alone and he's lost so much he's lost that connection with his family and he feels conflicted about the fact that he even misses them and yeah. everything is just really hard for him right now and I think for anyone who's going through a hard time especially this time of year you know we're going into Christmas when a lot of complicated family things will be coming up for people absolutely just, yeah big old hugs to Adam Aww. how about Adam. you um I want to spotlight Maura for having the hard conversation Aww. she does I think Maura likes to be right she likes to be certain and she likes to be a little bit private so going into Blue's room and saying, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you about your dad. It was hard to talk about him. And then, like, my feelings got in the way. And then also, like, I really wasn't sure I didn't have all the information. Like, she has a lot of good reasons for not saying all of this stuff to Blue when Blue is younger. But I think maybe they needed to have that conversation maybe before this. But I'm proud of her for having it now. And I'm also proud of her mm. for apologizing because I, I am not an infallible parent. Mm. and I often find myself apologizing to my kids like if I do something wrong or forget something or even just bump into them I am all apologies because they need to know they they need to see it modeled and I feel like Blue is the kind of person who is sensitive to what people need and intuitive because she's had this really great role model so I just wanted to spotlight Maura for having the hard conversation and still being like a reasonable actual person yeah that was amazing she was amazing I love her soft as a poem delightful well, next week we'll be reading chapters 45 to 48 through the theme of friendship, and that's the end of book one. Crazy. Can't believe we're wrapping up season five. Yeah, we've done well this year. It's 50 weeks. And they've all been great. They've all been so rewarding. It has been really fun. I've been, I love this. I love that we get to do this. Thank you, Jen. This has like yeah. been the highlight of the last, I don't know, what, year and two months or something. Planning and doing this. Best thing we've gotten out of this whole COVID situation is that I we've know. had space to do this. So, yeah. Absolutely. I'm glad that it's a priority for us. Because I love you and I love spending this time with you. Yeah, same. I love you too. And it's just such a highlight of my week every week. Well, I look forward to wrapping up the first book in this series with you next week. Oh, it's going to be so much. It's going to be intense. but We'll get through it. Yes, we will. <laughs> All right. I'll see you next week. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.